Guys, I, I don't know about you, but uh, I have found, especially um, doing this in ministry, that uh, vacations have become more important. It's, it's important to the, the church is kind of all-consuming uh, of, of time, resources, energy, thought, uh, those kind of things. So vacations have actually become more important for our family than they really ever were. There's just one problem. Um, no matter where we have gone or how long we have gotten away for, without fail, uh, towards the end of that time away, which I always enjoy, something happens to me. Maybe it happens to you too when you get away. What, what do you think it is? I want to come back home. <laughs> I got a couple nights left. I'm sleeping on a borrowed bed. And it can be a nice bed. It can be a really nice hotel. It could be, you know, a, a, a camper and, and the beauty of the outdoors and all of that business. And, 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 and I'm enjoying myself, the hiking and the, the swimming in the rivers. and the, I mean, all that stuff is great and grand, grand and glorious. But if I'm honest with myself, I always reach the last couple days of vacation and I just want to sleep in my own bed. I want to be in my own house. I want to play fetch with my own dog. I, I want to... I be here with you guys. There's something about being home. Right? That's why we call it home. It, it's, it's an amazing experience, an amazing encounter. We, we, we feel at peace. That's, that's what the word home insinuates, right? It's, it's a place of peace where we belong. Uh, this week, as we study chapter 19 of the story, as we've read it together, the Israelites, the Jews, whatever you want to call them at this point, the people from Judah, they're going to return home. They're going to return home. And in their return, I think we learn some important lessons about God, about how he works, about his providence. But we also learn some important lessons about ourselves. And we're going to try to cover both of those tracks this morning, if it is possible. Okay? Um, for that, we need some help. Would you guys join me in a word of prayer as we invite the Holy Spirit to come teach us and guide us in the ways of Jesus. Father, we are so grateful for the ability to gather in your house and to proclaim this great truth that we cannot save ourselves. That we are still a people in great need. People that are prone to captivity. And people that need a sovereign, all-powerful God to step in and rescue us. And that is what we proclaim this morning, is that we have a God that is not distant. We have a God that is not far off. We have a God that uh, is, is not one who does not understand our circumstance, but we have a God that has come near. And he has stepped in to our place. And he has provided a way for us to come home. Jesus, you've done that for us. You have done that for us. So today we praise you, we thank you, but we also say we need to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, we know it is your role in all things to exalt Jesus. We pray that you would come now and teach us and guide us and exalt Jesus, that we might see him more clearly and that he might capture our hearts again. In our text it says, move our hearts. Lord, that is my prayer today, move our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We find ourselves in uh, the middle 
of a story that really provides a beautiful picture of the providence of God. Some of you wonder, what is providence? It's God's guiding hand, God's power in all of, not just creation, but all of history. And, and so uh, in, we said from the get-go, there's two stories, right? There's the upper story. God's always at work. We can't always see it. We don't always understand it. But the Bible says that God is over all things and that he is in all things. So he's, he's in the lower story. He's in our lives. That's the, the story we're very familiar with. It's the story of common circumstance of man, of, of struggle, of, of failure, of, of redemption. That, that's our common story down here. But God is also always over us. He's not just He's not just in all things, he's also over all things. And so God is providentially, he's working for some purpose which he has. And the Bible just proclaims that purpose is always good. So God is working for good. And in the, in the lower story, it's been really not a whole lot more than tragedy at this point. These chosen people of God never seem to choose him back. It's a story of great sin, and, and, and it's ended up uh, on multiple occasions with God's children in captivity, and it seems like God always has to come to the rescue and set his people free. It's this ongoing theme, by the way. It's still true today that we have to cry out to God because we often find ourselves in captivity, and God will have to come and deliver us. And so we've got all this stuff going on in the lower story. And that's really where we're going to camp out today. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. But, but if we miss what's going on in the upper story, then, then we miss something great. And so these people of God have been in captivity for 70 years. They're preparing to come home. And I want you to see God's hand in all this. In the lower story, we read that uh, it is King Cyrus of Persia that, uh, that is going to send the Jews home. It's easy to read that and think that that's, it's, just, it's just him. This guy somehow must believe in God and he just decides, uh, you know, on some level or else he's just got more than he can handle. And he just said, you guys go home. I'm going to give you the money to rebuild uh, the temple of God. We're going we're gonna to give you back all the artifacts that were stolen um, by the Babylonians. And you go and you rebuild your temple and your God, you go back to Jerusalem. And it's easy to read the story like that. But as Alan pointed out in his Bible study Wednesday night, which, by the way, if you're not here on Wednesday night for Bible study, you're missing really good stuff. Uh, the Bible actually teaches us that it's not Cyrus who makes possible uh, this return home. Now, now, he's used, okay? It seems that it's him. But remember, there's an upper story. So I want to show you this. This is pretty cool. This is from the book of Isaiah uh, chapter 44, and then running into chapter 45, it says this, Who says of Cyrus, God speaking, He is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. Now go on to 45. That's a really bad chapter break, by the way. This is continuing thought. This is why we, we go, why did you put numbers in this thing? Uh, and it says, this is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. Now, God is speaking of this king, um, Cyrus, but he's talking about him 150 years before Cyrus ever shows up on the map. God is up here providentially working out history in ways that we can't even... How do you, how do you wrap your mind around that? 150 years before Cyrus shows up, God is speaking of him. 
It, 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 it's crazy. And so uh, God uses Cyrus, king of Persia, to set his people free. This common theme of, of setting his people free from their captivity. Nearly 50,000 of them return home to Jerusalem. And, and when they get there, uh, they do something interesting first. They, they build an altar. Now, now this is a sign, remember? God um, put them in captivity because they had failed to put him at the center of their lives. They had become like neighboring nations instead of being a light to those nations, being set apart, being different. Remember, from the very beginning in, in the book of Exodus, God said, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. I want to camp out at the center of your lives. But for that to happen, your sin needs to be atoned for. God says, there's going to have to be a sacrificial system. There's going to have to be an altar. This is going to have to happen. I'm going to need a place to stay. I mean, all all that stuff. And so these people, they return from exile, and they seemingly have learned their lesson because the very first thing they do is build an altar to God so that great sacrifices can be made. So they're saying, God, we, we recognize that we need you in the sin of our lives. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. And then they go on to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. That's a feast when they celebrated uh, that exodus from Egypt. This fact that God was with them. And they're saying again, now God be with us. And it's a beautiful feast because it all points to Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And so they uh, rebuild the altar. Next, they decide to lay the foundation of the temple. We read this week in the story, it's a bittersweet moment. The, the, the young men are, are shouting for joy, yeah! And the, and the older ones are weeping. This temple won't be nearly as large or as extravagant as the one before. It's a reminder as you have to lay a new foundation that grave sin went before. It's a, diff- it's a bittersweet moment, and it is for them. Now, the enemies from the surrounding lands say they want help. Like, we want to help. We, we want to be with you. We want to, we want to worship this God. Let's do life together again. Guys, come on. It was great before. And again, it seems that the Jews have learned their lesson. And they say, no. No, we're, we're not going to do that again. You can't worship with us. We don't believe the same things. And, and uh, it was a great defense. They're not going to bow down to the surrounding culture. Now, those enemies evidently are offended. No doubt they would be. And so they decide to uh, try to disturb and delay the construction. You know what? They succeed. For six years, it it carries on. They're constantly having to try to build and watch their back. And and finally, after six difficult years, they just give up. They just stop. And the temple, nothing happens for another ten years. Not, Not a thing. Because the people assume that the difficulty is from God and that God must be the one saying, no, no, not time yet. Even, even though I told you to go home and build, no, it, it's just it's too hard. And so they turn inward instead of upward. Does that sound familiar? They begin to build their own houses and their own lives. And they complete them and they're gorgeous and yet the temple, God's house, still lays bare. What does God do with his children? What does he do when his people misplace their priorities? Well, he uh, sends messengers to come and bring clarity. To show them that they have misunderstood and misinterpreted circumstances in life. So I'm on page 266 of the story. If you're following along in your Bible, it's Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1. By the way, if you're one of the people that likes to say Haggai, that's okay. 
I'm just using the Strong's reference, okay? It says Haggai. I checked it this week. I wanted, didn't want to say Haggai if it was wrong. So you go either way you want to. But it's Haggai chapter 1. I'm going to read 1 through 9. If you've got your copy of the story, I'm just on page 266, middle of the page. And it says this. It says, in the second year of King Darius, on the sixth Uh, On the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of uh, Jezodek, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Anybody ever feel that way? Whew. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty. This is important. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. God's going to send another prophet on the scene in our readings this week, a man named Zechariah, who will then come alongside Haggai, and he will serve to encourage the people to finish the task of building the temple, and they will do so. God will use this king, Darius, and, uh, and he'll use actually the surrounding nations to fund the building of his temple. That's pretty cool how God does that. You need finances? I'll just make your enemies pay for it. Hallelujah, right? Wouldn't that be awesome if, if, if the creditor that keeps bugging you about that hospital bill, which was already outrageous to start with, just called one day and said, my boss said I have to pay off your bill? be awesome. Yes, Lord, I long for that day. God will use this other prophet, Zechariah, who will use this other king, King Darius, and the building and the temple will be completed. Now the question is, where do we go uh, from here? There are a lot of directions we could take the story this morning. I want to focus um, on the theme of returning home. Returning home. The Bible teaches that we are all prone to wander. Many of us in this room have at one time Uh, been the prodigal son, and some of us, even though we've never been the prodigal son, here's the danger, we're so prone to wander, some of us, it's it's never um, that obvious. It's never a moment we say, take that God, I'm out of here, but it's just a number of decisions. It's, It's what the song would call a slow fade. We find ourselves seemingly in a foreign land where we're not hearing from God, we're not seeing any fruit. We're isolated and alone. So when we're there, how do we get back? thought that would be a good topic this morning. 
So uh, I've got five things and I'm going to fly because I have about 15 minutes. Okay? Don't worry, I'll go 20. Five things, very quickly. First thing I want you to understand is that uh, God has to initiate the return. God has to initiate our return. Now, this sounds crazy to some, but I want to show you how God does this, how God initiates our return. Uh, I'm in Ezra 1.1. It's on page 263 of the story. But it says this, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, and look at the bold words, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. So, so who, who's, who's, who's orchestrating this? It is the Lord Almighty. Okay, And so the Lord had to do something. For Cyrus to do this, for him to step up, say, go build the temple, I'm going to pay for it, here's all the stuff that was stolen from you, God had to do work. God had to move in the heart of Cyrus. Now what about the people? As we study, we learn, not all of the people returned. So, so what did God do in the hearts of those that returned? How, how, did, how did so many decide we're going back? Well, others didn't. And, and the text tells us, Ezra 1.5, Then the family of the heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, get this, everyone whose heart God had moved prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. So only people who had their hearts moved get to return home. That, that's the way that it worked. Because without that, they, they, they had no desire. There were people that chose not to go home. There were kings before Cyrus that chose not to allow people to go home. What, what is the one tie that is in common in both instances? It is God moving the hearts of men. Remember the story of the prodigal son. He asked for his inheritance early. He, he went off and he squandered it in wild living, uh, became basically poor and destitute, took a job tending pigs, and the Bible says that he was watching those pigs, not something a Jewish boy wants to do. He's taking care of pigs, and he was longing for the slop, for the pods that they were eating, and then something miraculous happened, Luke fifteen seventeen. It says, when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Something miraculous happened. He came to his senses. Literally in the Greek, it means he became himself again. How does one who has wandered far from their calling in life suddenly become themselves again? And the answer is God moves their heart. That's, that's what happens. God, God moves their heart. And you may be here today and you've been living in that foreign land and you say, how will I know that God is doing this? How do I know if God is calling me back? How do I know if God is calling me to, to that place to return home to, to that place where, where He is my God? And I'm, how do I know if God is doing this in my circumstance? And I'm going to give you just two indicators that God is calling you home, that God is moving your heart. Here's the two indicators that God is moving your heart. Number one, you're beginning to see your surroundings differently. It's the first sign that God is starting to move your heart to return home, to repent. Ready? He starts allowing you to see your surroundings differently. You thought, man, this is great. You you thought, man, this is fun. You thought, yeah, this is what I really want. And now you're in the middle of it and you're beginning to go, wow, look what I have settled for. I'm, I'm sitting here. At some point, the prodigal looked up and said, I'm, are you kidding me? I'm longing for pig slop. 
Right? At, at one point, Jonah realized, are you kidding me? All God wanted me to do was go tell people about him, and I am stuck in the belly of a stinking fish. And he cries out to God, right? At some point in our lives, there comes an aha moment when we say, oh my God, what am I doing? And I'm telling you that aha moment happens because God is stirring and moving your heart. Here's the second indicator that God... Uh, may be moving your heart. Not only do you see your surroundings differently, but you start to remember how much better life used to be. You start to long for home. That's how you know God is stirring your heart. You had decided, like, this is good, this is for me. I'm, I, I, you, you've bought in wholeheartedly, and yet then God suddenly starts to work in your heart, and you remember how good life used to be. When God was Father and you were constantly in His house and you were in fellowship with Him, that too is a work of God. And so I'm just here to tell you this morning, if that's you, if that, if that resonates with you, then God may be trying to move your heart to return home. That's the first thing I want to tell you this morning, is God has to initiate it. Those are signs that he is. Now, when God initiates and he moves your heart, uh, what's next? Well, then you have to move. And you have to move. That's the second thing I want you to see about coming home, is that returning home will require a great amount of work on our part. So, so God moves our hearts, we, we sense it, we, we turn around and begin to head home. God has moved us, now we begin to move towards Him. By the way, that's what the Bible calls repentance. Uh, just in case you're wondering, when, when, you, when you turn around from the direction you're heading and you start turning back home, the Bible calls that repentance. Unfortunately for many of us, um, when we return home from that kind of captivity, we often realize that things are in shambles. The Jews returned home to Jerusalem and the people, in a very real sense, had to start over because it had been completely burned to the ground. And oftentimes that is true for us as well. Many Christians who find themselves trapped, another phrase for, for trapped is, is called uh, uh, held captive by sin. See the, the commonalities here in our stories. Many, many Christians who find themselves trapped, held captive by sin, are shocked to see that when they come to their senses, when, when they, they, they head home, when they repent, their life is not magically rebuilt. Their, their life isn't magically rebuilt. Their relationships and all the people that they have hurt are not magically restored. And, and many people that do this, they, they wonder, well, well, what's wrong? But God, I, I did what you wanted me to do. I came home. No, coming home, the, the repenting is just part of it. Now the work begins. Because when you come home, you have to rebuild. And you have to rebuild the broken relationships. You have to rebuild the broken trust. And you have to rebuild all, all of the shambles that, that lie there because, largely, because of our actions. And there's great work involved. Like the Jews, they return home, they find they have a lot of work to do. And so the, the work has to happen. I want to tell you that work often involves change. The very first thing they did was a declaration of change. The very first thing they did was build an altar to God. Say, God, I, we, we need you at the center of our lives. I'm here to tell you that better be the first change that you make too. If God is the one that stirs your hearts to return, if God is the one that providentially provides for you to return home, you better make him the center of this all, lest you find yourself in captivity very quickly again. 
So that's the first thing they do. It was a change. The second thing they did that was a change involved the people in their lives, right? The, the, the people that surrounded them, the people that, that caused them to sin in the first place. They, they changed it. They said, I've got to change my culture. I can't have the same people uh, that, that, that helped to lead to my contaminant. I can't have those people in my life. And some of you that, that, that are in the process of trying to come back home, you are fighting and fighting and fighting and you don't feel like it's finished. You don't feel like the temple. I'm speaking of your spirit. I'm think, speaking of, of who you are. You just don't feel like it's right. You feel like the construction has been ongoing for years. And I say to you, maybe it's because you haven't changed the people that surround you. It's important. It's important. Listen, coming home is worth it. That's what God wants, but it's not magic. It involves a lot of work. God will provide the strength and the materials, but you will have to cooperate with him. Third thing I want you to know about coming home is that someone will try to stand in your way. It'll happen, I guarantee it. It'll probably happen from somebody you least expect. For the Jews, it was their neighbors, you know, the nations that led them astray to start with. Hey, awesome, you're back. Let's get together again. In fact, we want to help you. Like, like listen, to, listen to this. I mean, it, how, how easy it is to fall into this thought. The, the surrounding nation says, oh, your God is good. How, let us help you build your temple, and we will worship your God with you. Only one problem, they worship multiple gods. And this is what led to their downfall to start with. See this in the addict that's coming back home, and somebody says, oh, yeah, let me go to AA with you. We can do this together. Hmm. Let's hang out. We'll help you. I don't know about you. When I read the words of Zerubbabel and Joshua, the response to this when they just said no, I literally wrote in the margin of the story, yes, finally. Finally they see it. Finally they say no. Now, these, these neighbors wreck havoc on their lives. They, they pester them six years. They eventually uh, make them question God's calling in their lives. Again, some warning. Now, this isn't one of the major points uh, it's not going to fit into our five things this morning, but I want to I I point it out to you because I just feel like it's important. Uh, these guys saw that it was tough, and they said, maybe God doesn't want us to build after all. So they ceased. They ceased. So I, I want you to write this down. Um, this is a big lesson we learn here. It may, may actually have the power to change your life uh, and your perspective about God and the world. But it, it, it's not fitting into our five things. But here it is. I just want you to write this down. Resistance is not always from God. Resistance is not always from God. Because it's tough going for six years, they give up. And the temple project lays dormant for another ten. They assume that God's way would be easier. Speaking to you, American Christians. <laughs> right? Guys, guys, we make the same mistakes so often. I think this is part of the downfall of that prosperity gospel that has, has worked its way into American Christianity, right? We feel like God is, is telling us to make a change. Maybe something uh, simple like get up early and spend time with Him. Start, start a new ministry maybe or even an endeavor in life. And then what happens? It gets tough. That's what happens. It, it, gets, it gets tough. And we assume that God is saying, well, it's just not time, right? So get this. We actually assume that God would make um, following Him easy somehow. That's our assumption. 
That following God is supposed to be empty. This is the core. And this, this is the problem with the prosperity gospel, right? I mean, it just tells you that, that the blessed life is always going to be the easy life. And just God's going to bless you. That's how you know God's on your side. Listen, God is on your side when you're in the valley. God's on your side when you're in the ditch. God's on your side when nobody else is on your side. Like, like God never promises that, that it's going to be easy. And I want you to hear the fool and the foolishness of this, this kind of, of thought. It's plain ignorance because this is what I would say to you. Did God make the cross easy for Jesus? He absolutely did not. Did God make starting the early church easy for the disciples? He absolutely did not. It cost them their very lives. That's what Jesus meant. Like, if you want to gain life, you're going to have to lay down. You've got to be willing to lay down your life. And, and like today, we don't have to worry about death uh, quite as much as they did, clearly. Not, not in our country, but we do have to worry about preference. We do have to worry about our priorities. We do have to worry about our paneled houses. Because sometimes God's going to say, I need you to lay down some of that stuff so that my kingdom can flourish. Someone's going to try to stand in your way, and it is going to be hard work. And I just pray we learn these lessons. I, 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 I cannot help but see the parallels uh, to where God has us right now as a church. In this season where we feel like he's called us to go build a new facility, one that can cater to the greater needs of Elgin as it grows, and it is hard. And I just wonder in the midst of how hard it's been if somebody's just said, that's it, I just can't do it anymore. I just, I mean, I, 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 can't, I, I, can't, I can't be focused on this anymore. I can't give myself to this anymore. I, I can't, I just wonder, listen, the cross wasn't easy for Christ and the church was never easy for the early disciples. And I just, I, I just this is the lesson that we all used to grasp. It was the one that um, our parents' parents instilled in them that hard work is the best work, that we have to do hard things, but we, we live in this new generation and culture that says, well, just quit it if you don't like it. Just stop. And I just want you to see the dangers of that spiritually. Okay? Fourth thing, because all this other stuff happens, I want you to know it'll be easy to lose your focus along the way. Another way to say that is in this process of rebuilding your life, you will be prone to misplace your priorities. You'll be prone to misplace your priorities. Um, wandering, falling into sin, captivity, it occurs when we misplace our priorities, when we take our eyes off of God. Um, that's, that's its cause. And so when we focus inward instead of upward, uh, we stray from God. And that is what happened to the Jews. And that is the story of the prodigal son, right? I want my inheritance now. Sin, it's sin, right? It's the big I between the little F's and the little N. It's an inward focus. It's what do I want instead of the upward focus. God, what do you want of me? And when we, we set ourselves on this kind of behavior, and, and it's so easy to slip into, guys. Uh, when we find ourselves there, what, what does God do? How does God respond when his children misunderstand the circumstances and they misplace their priorities. How does God respond? That's, that's our last point. Ready? Thank goodness. I love this. God is faithful. And he lovingly reminds us and corrects us along the way. That's how God responds. So how does God respond? He's faithful. And he lovingly reminds and corrects us along the way. We shared a memory verse um, with our kingdom kids this week. Uh, if you've got kiddos in that age range from pre-K all the way up through fifth grade, I encourage you to bring them on Wednesdays. 
And we shared this verse, 2 Timothy 3.16. I shared with him, it's the very first verse I ever memorized. I actually memorized it before I became a Christian. It's crazy. It says, all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Okay? That's what God's word does for us on a regular basis. This is what does for us what Haggai and Zechariah did for them. Hear that again. God's word does for us what his word through Haggai and Zechariah did for them. Right? The Bible lovingly teaches us what God wants. It, it disapproves. That's the word rebuke. It disapproves when we misplace our priorities. The Bible uh, helps us correct. Uh, that means it helps us put right our lives. And then it actually trains us uh, how to keep that going. The Bible does it. The Word of God does it. So God initiates the, the coming back. He moves our hearts, right? And, and then we, 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 we move with Him. We repent and we head back to Him. And, and, and so we've got to start rebuilding and it's hard work. And, and then the, the enemy comes and, and, and it, it's, they try to stand in our way, right? It, it's very difficult. We, we, we get to that, that fourth point um, that uh, we, we begin to lose our focus. And what does God do? God faithfully reminds us. He teaches us. He rebukes us. Don't let that word fool you. He, he, uh, it's a disapproval of misplay. He'll say, no, my child, what are you doing? Ever read the Bible and it read you back? That's the way it works. You pray before you read this book, it'll read you back. That's why a lot of Christians don't read these days. Be honest. A lot of people say, I'm struggling to read my Bible. It's probably because you don't want to hear it. Okay, now how do we take this home? I, I only have like two minutes to wrap it up, okay? <clears throat> it's God initiated, God sustained, um, us cooperating with Him the whole way. How do we take this home? Number one, um, I just want to challenge folks that are here and, and you've seen the two indicators that God is moving your heart. I want to challenge you to come home. If, if you have seen your surroundings and you, you fi- finally figured out like, hey, this isn't all it's cracked up to be. If you can see the slop, if you can smell the fish guts, like, and you get it, this is not where I want to be. God's allowed you to see that. If you're here this morning and you've been thinking uh, here in your heart over the last few weeks, over the last few months, over the last few years, oh God, I I remember that time that you were everything. I just, I wish I could get back to that point. That's a sign that God is trying to move you uh, to a place of repentance. He's trying to call you home. And so just simply say to you, do it. Just turn, don't settle for fish guts, man. Just don't do it. Don't, don't settle for slop. I mean, settling for slop when, when God has glory in mind for us. And so just, I want to ch- just go ahead and follow through. If God's been moving your heart, respond to him today and say, yes, Lord, I'm coming home. Two, uh, I want to challenge you to keep watch while you work. It's going to be an enemy that surrounds. You're going to have to be wary. Uh, one point... Um, Later in the stories, they rebuild the walls. Oftentimes, people would be rebuilding with one hand and carrying a sword in the other. I don't know how, I'm not very ambidextrous. I might have to carry the sword in my bad hand, which is not good. We've got to keep watch while we work, but we have to work. It is work. If, if you're one of those people who say, I want to come back to God, I want my life the way it used to be, I just want you to understand it's not going to be magic. When you come back, oftentimes stuff is in ruin and you've hurt people and it, it just doesn't magically change. The trust isn't magically gained back. That stuff doesn't happen. It takes work and determination to earn those things back. So put in the time, put in the work, focus, okay? Three, uh, I challenge you to consistently check your priorities. We are prone to wander. 
we are prone to turn inward instead of upward. If you don't know that about yourself yet, my friend, it's problematic. Jesus would often speak to people and say, you're supposed to be leading people. He talked to the religious folks. You're supposed to be leading people, but you yourselves are blind. If you don't understand you are prone to turning inward instead of upward, man, just check yourself. Ask yourself this question. Where am I turned right now, Lord? Where's my focus right now, Lord? Is, am I focused inward? Or am I completely focused outward? Okay, that's, that's a good check of priorities. Lastly, uh, I would challenge you to listen regularly to godly counsel. God puts messengers in our lives for a reason. You say, what does that look like? Hopefully for you, uh, you realize, I, I hope and pray that's why you're here. You realize that um, that, uh, that happens in this place. That God's word's just taught. It's not taught with thought to uh, how it may offend or how it may hurt or any political motivation. We just try to teach it as it lies. Um, so hopefully that, that responds to church. But um, we don't want you just in a pew. If we're honest, we, we kind of want you in a circle. You need to be doing life with some other believers. You just need to be. And so, uh, so we, we talk, you've got to have a small group. And then from that, you really need, as, as Christian individuals, you need to invite a couple people into your life and give them the permission to say hard things to you. You really do. You need some Christian friends in your life that one, and I'm, I'm not talking, well, I've got great Christian friends. They live in Wisconsin. Well, that's awesome, and you can talk to them over the phone, but if they can't see your daily struggles, it doesn't count. You need some people locally that can see you. They, they spend time with you. They run in your circle. They know when you're losing your temper too much. They know when, when you're struggling uh, with certain things. Like You need those people in your life. You've got to give them permission to lovingly teach you, rebuke you, correct you, and train you. All right? Lastly, I would say you need to give God that permission every day. Lord, I need you to teach me, rebuke me, correct me, and train me. Number one spiritual marker of people growing in their faith with God. It's right here. It's not about programs. It's not about certain reading, you know, uh, studies. It's just about spending time in the Word of God. That's all we need. If you read it, it'll read you back. It'll help you, I promise. Pray with me this morning. Father, we love you. Thank you for this time to gather here. Lord, as we close uh, our time of worship by honoring you through our giving, uh, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified. We do. We do. God, be glorified in us in all areas. Holy Spirit, would you take this message and really do deep work in us, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.